to Women Wanting Women, where we explore topics that matter to women like us. We talk about being a woman, attracting women, and becoming more powerful women by developing more self-confidence and always reaching for the next level in our self-actualization. I'm your hostess, lesbian love coach Jordana Michelle. And if you're interested in finally finding the woman of your dreams, so you can be best friends who learn and grow together, share dreams together, have adventures together, and share passionate intimacy together, then also check out my website, womenwantingwomen.com, because it's packed with free resources that can help you. For example, there are free quizzes you can take, including one that will tell you what might be standing in your way of finding love and another that will tell you what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet her. There are free video tutorials you can watch that explain why women do the things they do and how you can navigate the frustrating world of lesbian dating with confidence, even if you're feeling lonely and desperate. There are free guides you can download to learn the secrets of how to avoid rejection, heal from heartbreak, and find epic lesbian love, And there's a free matchmaking survey you can fill out in case I already know the woman of your dreams. All of that is available now on womenwantingwomen.com. And if you want lesbian dating advice from me more often, follow me on Instagram at jordana.michelle. But before we go any further, I have a question. Have you ever heard of lesbian YouTuber Stevie Bobby? She teaches sex education to queer teenagers, and as of the time of recording this podcast, she had a social media reach of over 1 million people, and YouTube views totaling over 50 million. And on this episode of Women Wanting Women, she shares all about how she started out life as a homeless teen with a disability and pulled herself out of poverty by becoming an online influencer. You can learn more about her by searching for Stevie Bobby on YouTube, that's B-O-E-B-I. But before you do, stick around for all the stories and perspectives she shares with us here. Stevie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you. You are such an interesting person. I can't wait to find out why you think I'm interesting. Well, you are. You're just really interesting. First of all, you have been on YouTube as an influencer for how long now? Oh, God. I started in 2006, but I didn't come out online until about seven years ago, six years ago. So you had six years online when you were, what were you doing then? I was making, I I started doing like comedy, just like comedy videos. And then I pivoted to technology. So I was like making Android hacking videos for years. Um, and trying to pretend like I wasn't gay because I thought that if you were out, you couldn't be successful. And I um, was terrified of not being successful. What did being successful mean to you back then? Um, like having enough money to survive. When I, I always say that YouTube saved my life because I got really, really ill. Um, and I was like sleeping 20 hours a day and every time I would stand up, I would pass out and I was going in and out of emergency rooms and I had no idea. They kept telling me it was depression. (laughs) Um, and I was like, I literally have lost 35 pounds no matter how much I eat. And I did not have 35 pounds to lose. So you can't just tell me I'm depressed. What the fuck? 
And so, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't hold any jobs. So I figured out how to work from bed. Um, I got a job making $25 a video from a technology website. And so I just like faked like I was into technology or that I knew anything about it. How did you know how to do this? Like what was, how did you even? Well, like I, I knew how to make videos cause I had been making like comedy videos since 2006. Um, and you were getting paid for those. You were able to make a living that way. Not getting paid for those. No, the, like, I don't know when YouTube started monetizing. It was probably like 2010. I'm just guessing. Don't quote me on that. Um, yeah, no, it was like this, this technology website was like looking for video hosts to like start a, a YouTube channel and they were like paying $25 a video. So I'd make like one or two videos a week and that got me like 50 bucks a week to pay for food. How'd you even find them? Were they like advertising? Like, Hey, I need someone to make videos. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. They like advertised it and I was like, I know how to make a fucking video bitch. And so I did that. And then I had like an app review show on this like technology website. It was like a forum where people could go on and like download and hack their Android phones. And so it was like a really high traffic site. So I started building my audience from there because there was like, oh my God, a girl is talking about Android hacking. Like, no, no, it's old. it was like, my audience was like 97% male at that time. And so then I moved to LA and I was like, I'm, I found lesbians on YouTube, like lesbian couples, and they had like views. And but to me, the only lesbian I knew was Ellen DeGeneres, and I didn't look like her. And so how can I look like the way that I look, which is, you know, feminine, um, and be a lesbian and have people still think I'm palatable and, will, and, like, worth watching? Because I had a lot of fear because I had literally almost fucking starved to death. And, like, I felt like I was going to die any minute because everyone kept telling me nothing was wrong with me. And I was like, I have cancer. I'm going to die. Like, something, something serious is wrong. And so I had like that fear, right? Right. So at that moment, you wanted to come out and because you saw that some lesbian couples were being successful making money, but you didn't know if you could be able to do it. Were those lesbian couples at the time making money? Like, was this at a time when? So, So I saw feminine lesbians online and I was like, oh shit, this is something that people want. And which is so funny because I don't know if I'm like talking in a circle, but it's like, oh, I'm a feminine lesbian. I can't do this because there's no successful feminine lesbians. And then it's like, so then I don't do it. And then I don't get to create this representation for other feminine lesbians. Right. Um, it's like this fucking cycle. So yeah, when I, when I saw couples like lesbian couples online, I was like, holy shit, I maybe can do this. So then I think I came out as like bi first or something. I was so confused. Um, and then like, I came out as a lesbian and then my following started growing and then I kept making technology videos. And then I was like, why the fuck am I making technology videos? I need to start like making stuff about stuff I care about, you know? So when you first came out, you came out while making a video about an Android app. You're like, Hey, here's this app. By the way, I'm a lesbian. Now back to the app. (laughs) I think so. Holy shit. I wonder if I could find that video. Yeah, because I went to look for your earlier videos and it sort of seemed to start like you were already, I don't think you have early things up. I went to, I mean, or I just don't know where to find it. Yeah, it was just because I was, I was growing other people's YouTube channels. So like people would hire me. So after I got that first job making $25 a video, I was getting like millions of views on, on, you know, this technology website. So then lots of other tech websites were were contacting me and they were offering me like lots more. So then I started negotiating package deals of like 12 videos. So I'll make 12 videos and this is how much it costs. And then I would like hire someone to write the scripts that knew about technology. Cause I didn't know what the fuck was going on. So I would take a chunk of the money and I would hire a writer and then I would 
stack shoot. So I would shoot them all like in two hours and then fucking go back to bed because I was sleeping 20 hours a day, right? But then I just made enough money to support myself for four or five months. That's genius. That was so entrepreneurial of you. <laughs> yeah, I guess. That's really great. How did you learn to do, like, how did you even, did, who taught you how to do all that? No one. I don't know. I like, God, my fucking goddamn life is so ridiculous. I grew up in a really fucked up home and I got taken out of the home by Child Protective Services when I was 15. Then I went into foster care and then they placed me back in the home. The home was still abusive. So then I became a homeless teenager at like 16. So I've been on my own ever since I was 16 years old. And I was like homeless on and off till I was like 22, which is like when all of this happened, right? So when the when you first got sick, yeah. So that's when you first started making videos to support yourself. Yeah, I've always been like a little scrappy survivor. So I don't, I don't know, I don't know how I, I don't know where I got the idea to do that from. I think I, I think I just like naturally have the ability to like negotiate. I do have a lot of friends that are like, how can you just ask people for money? What? And I'm like, what? What do you mean? How you could, how can you just ask people for money? I'm confused. I've never struggled with that. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, it's good to be able to ask for what you want and know your value. So you just made a new movie about your experience as a homeless teen. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. That was fucking the worst thing I've ever goddamn done in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me all about it. What's it called? It was like the most vulnerable thing I've ever done. So it's a short film. It's called Weenie. And I basically just like reenacted a bunch of times before I became homeless as like a teen. I think there's like eight scenes. Yeah. So it was like really, it was really tough. I was in a lot of, I'm still in a lot of therapy the whole time. But yeah, I, I'm so happy I did it. It was the fucking hardest thing I've ever done, but so goddamn worth it. And the feedback has been really cool. And it's like the first time I've ever made anything. And so if you, the first time anybody ever makes anything, it's always terrible right like, it's really funny that you just said it's the first time you ever made anything says the woman with how many youtube videos and how many yeah, so i have like a little bit of experience like making internet videos where it's just me talking to a camera but i don't think that that really informs filmmaking like i have 15 actors and 12 different sets and you know yeah fucking what that is just like such a completely different you did a great job. It was really touching. I, I, I mean, I didn't. I assumed that each scene was a reenactment of an experience you had being kicked out of a place that you had been trying to live and just find safety and shelter in that moment, and just kind of getting and just showing how each different home situation didn't work out. Yeah. Um, and the first few, there was an actress playing you, and then in the last couple, you played yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was. Uh, it was pretty moving and pretty intense. So really powerful of you to tell your story in that way and generous of you to share it. Thanks so much. Yeah. I definitely recommend people watch it. It's pretty good. I mean, it must've been a, just an absolutely brutal thing to be a homeless teenager, but it seems like your scrappiness might be one example of like a superpower that you gained from having that experience. Do you think there are any others that because of having to go through that experience you know, what, what do you think are some of the most important things you learned from going through it? Oh, God, I don't even know. It's so hard because, like, now that I'm now that I'm like the age that I am and I'm, you know, in a place where I, I'm not constantly worrying about um, having my home ripped away any second or like not being able to support myself or whatever. You know, now I'm on like this 
becoming self-aware and like comparing myself to others. And I feel like, a, I feel like most people, especially girls did that in their teen years, but like I didn't have fucking time. So yeah. So now I'm just like, okay, what, what does this feel like to you? Or like, what, why do you experience this emotion? What other emotions do you think are informing that? Or like what doing this activity? Why is it, why is it hard? Or like describes what social anxiety feels like to you. So I'm like slowly becoming more self-aware and like learning more about myself and, and how I'm different from others, which is feels like such a juvenile thing to do. Right. But I'm doing it now. So yeah, I don't know. I think there's a, I think like when I first become friends with someone or I, God, this just sounds so like I'm fucking bragging, but um, when I first start to date someone or start to become friends with someone, people always tell me I've never met someone like you. And I think that that comes with a lot of misunderstanding at first, you know, even like, even like when you opened this Skype call to being like, you, I feel like you've become nicer, you know, like, I don't know. I'm, I'm like, I'm not. In my defense, it's as we discussed, it's because the first video I ever saw of you was of you fighting with your girlfriend. And that was like the only thing I knew about you is watching you have a fight with your girlfriend. I'm not offended at all. I'm like at all. I'm just saying that's like a common theme where people are like, like completely misunderstand me or like, I don't know, make assumptions based on weird things. I have no idea. I'm still like in the journey right now. So I don't know. I don't know what it is about me that makes people be like, what the fuck are you? Like, are you a robot or whatever? I think I, I saw this thing one time and this completely changed my life. Cause I used to be one of those fucking bitches that was like, well, if it's honest, then I don't care if it hurts your feelings. Like if it's true, that's the only thing that matters. And so I didn't have to like do the work of caring about other people's emotions because at the time I couldn't afford to, right? I didn't have, I didn't have enough emotional energy to do that. You were in survival mode. Yeah. So I justify it by being like, I value honesty. Um, but then I saw, I don't even fucking know, some straight girl <laughs> said like, honesty without tact is cruelty. And I'd never heard that before. And it really resonated with me. And so over the past few years, I've tried to learn tact. <laughs> yeah, because I don't want to be cool. You know, I don't want, I don't want people to feel bad around me, especially people that I care about and love, you know, I want to make people feel good, you know? Yeah. That's nice. So in these recent years, you've been, been now that you're no longer in survival mode, that you have stability in your life, there's an opening and opportunity for you to become more curious about who you are and how you're different from others. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. But you asked me what my superpower is. I don't know. I have complex PTSD. So um, one of the, a lot of people have hypervigilance, but it's especially common in people with PTSD. So yeah, I'm like, constantly hyper aware of danger around and like abusive people and abusive tendencies and any kind of unhealthy behaviors. And I think that that has helped inform my videos because, and you might not fucking think that that is true at first when you watch them, because my videos are very like, like happy and like, I'm just saying like everything is normal, like love yourself, whatever. But I've seen how the opposite of what I'm, the advice I'm giving and the opposite of what I'm saying has harmed so many people. So I just try to act like the opposite is normal. I try to act like literally no one cares if, if you get rejected or literally no one cares if, you know, what you look like. It has to do with blah, blah, blah or whatever. So yeah, I think that my hypervigilance has definitely informed the topics and like how I address certain things and the advice that I give in my videos. 
you get it's um you could tell that you put a lot of thought into the advice that you give. Do you ever get nervous before releasing content anymore or are you over that? Um I think that my my YouTube channel videos aren't they they've become less and less personal over time. And to for me, right? So like another thing I'm learning oh my god, I feel like I'm just like telling you everything I'm learning in therapy, but a thing I'm learning in therapy is that vulner what vulnerability is. I always thought that I didn't struggle with vulnerability at all because I could just describe to someone what my labia looks like and I have no problem with that, right? But that's not something that's vulnerable to me, right? Like walking around naked in a room full of strangers is not vulnerable to me. It is to others. And so I thought that I was good at vulnerability. Not fucking true. Everybody has different areas and different things that make them feel more vulnerable than others, right? So just because someone seems like they're being emotionally vulnerable doesn't mean they actually feel vulnerability. So my videos now are like, now that I'm sharing less and less about my personal relationships, like I stopped doing that like almost four years ago. Yeah. I'm just like giving advice. And like, even if I'm like, this is how I orgasm, like it doesn't feel vulnerable to me, but making this short film felt fucking vulnerable to me, you know? So, and I want to do more stuff like that. Maybe I'll write a book. I don't know. (laughs) Um, Do you, is it good to feel vulnerable? Are you saying that you want your videos to feel more vulnerable or you think, you know, vulnerable is maybe you had boundaries that weren't appropriate when you were, or, or maybe you renegotiated your boundaries. Um, no, I think that I'm so happy that I shared everything that I did. I don't regret a goddamn thing as far as like sharing my relationships, but I do think that, you know, with boundaries, you're, you're making choices. Like I don't, I didn't want to continue being vulnerable in that way. Right. But no, I think vulnerability is good. Vulnerability is literally the secret to happiness. If you don't exercise like Brene Brown, right? If you don't exercise vulnerability, you'll never be fucking happy. So yeah, no, I think vulnerability is the goddamn secret. Yeah. So you like Brene Brown. Is there any any other personal development teachers that you particularly like? Oh God, I don't know. I watch a lot of TED Talks. But yeah, I, I just started reading Daring Greatly by Brene Brown, so I'm, I really like that. But then I stopped to read my friend Shannon's book called The Game of Desire, and I fucking love it. It's like pretty straight leaning, but like still, it's still inclusive to queer people, like has a whole like chapter about queerness. It's really good. And it's basically, I don't know if you know who Shan Boudram is, um, but she's a sexologist, an intimacy expert. She makes YouTube videos. She's amazing. And normally when my friends write books, I don't read them, right? I'm like, oh, I buy it. And then I post about it online and I read one or two chapters and I'm like, wow, great job. Like whatever. But I fucking started reading her book and I was like, this is so, it's got me hooked. And I read the whole fucking thing. Um, So I put Brene Brown down for a sec, but I have to move back to it. But I'm still not done talking about her fucking book. She basically takes six women in LA who are successful, quote unquote, in every other area of their life except for dating. And then she puts them through a nine week boot camp, teaching them how to be dateable and how to date and like all of that stuff. So and it's fascinating because they're all such different people. And so, you know, she'll like give them all an assignment and then describe in detail, like how they all showed up to that assignment, how they all did it. And it's really, really cool. So yeah, I, I bet you would like it if you're like really into personal development, just because She's like talking about, she's narrating, obviously speaking in her own voice, the whole book, but also like sharing other women's stories, which is really cool. Um, Yeah, no, that sounds really cool. What are your favorite takeaways? If you learn, what'd you learn? 
Oh God. Um, so basically I, this is like just like a giant ad spot for her book. I swear to God, but <laughs> go Shannon. I know. Right. So you, uh, in the book, you can go to the website and like participate in the boot camp kind of with them. And so I read the whole thing and then now I'm going back and doing the stuff. Cause I think it's so interesting, but the one there's like a personality quiz that I'd never heard about, which like personality quizzes are such queer culture. How dare I not know about this one, but it's called ocean. And so the biggest thing I learned about myself it, by taking that quiz was that I'm extremely disagreeable. And that's the reason that like, that makes me incompatible with people. Do you, do you think you're incompatible with people? Yeah. Everybody's incompatible with some people, you know, you right. can't be compatible with everyone. Oh, okay. Um, but that just means that I need to date someone that's generally agreeable or it'll just be fighting all the fucking time as you witnessed in lots of videos with my ex-girlfriend. <laughs> um, so are you dating anyone agreeable now? I'm looking. So apply below. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not, I don't, I don't have any partners right now, but I am looking for a wife. Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> and um, you're, you recently came out as polyamorous as well. Is that right? Yeah. Like a year ago, I think, I feel like though, it's so weird because I feel like on paper people wouldn't consider me polyamorous based on stereotypes, based on what you assume about polyamorous people. Um, I just, I don't know. I've, I've considered so much like not talking about it so much. Like why the fuck do you have to tell people you're polyamorous? It doesn't actually affect your relationships that much because I don't want two partners. I don't want to fuck other people. I just have crushes on people. I'm, I, I have the capacity to love more than one person at a time. So that's all that that means, right? So it has nothing to do with your actions. It has to do with how you feel. So, but there are tons of polyamorous people that do desire multiple relationships and all, all of that kind of stuff. I just, like I was telling you earlier, I feel like people misunderstand me a lot. And so when I do find, find a word that I can use to describe myself, I like talk about it a lot so that I can make other people understand. But then sometimes because of stereotypes and assumptions about the word, then it makes it even more confusing. So I don't know, maybe I'll take polyamorous out of my dating profile. I, well, I think, I think it's a great word to the extent that it is more honest and then you can enter a relationship with her knowing what to expect and that if suddenly you're in love with someone else, she had that, she knew that that was on the table where certain people that wouldn't necessarily be on the table. And so I, I think it's great that polyamory is a word that's available so that people don't have to choose between either feeling like they're in a relationship that doesn't work because they're, they just are forced into a certain way of being or they lie and cheat which I think is also bad. And it's to now give people the option to not have to lie and cheat, but instead just be honest and be able to love how they love. Yeah. Um, so I think it's good that you're honest with people about it. But what do you, so then if you think, it, what do you, how would you want the rules to be then for you? The rules? Yeah, because you're saying you're misunderstood. Are there different, what do you, what, how would you want, how would be the rules that work best for you then? Um, I don't really like rules. I think that like, I don't know. Well, that in and of itself is a rule. Rule, no rules. Yeah. And, and also like, I, can't, I don't have a crystal ball. I can't tell what I'm going to want in the future, right? Like every six months I become a new fucking different person, right? So I have no idea. I just know that like, I don't really struggle with jealousy at all, like at all. So 
I like it when my partner has other partners because I, I have a new thing to be excited about for them. So yeah, I don't, I love dating polyamorous people and I could see myself being happy with someone that has other partners or another partner or whatever. So yeah, I don't know. I just like, I fucking don't have time. Maybe I, maybe I will in the future, but like, I don't fully, like I, I want a primary partner that I share my life with. Right. So I could date a polyamorous person or a monogamous person. Awesome. And do you prefer being with someone that's already an influencer as well? Or do you like being with people who are not? Um, I don't really discriminate. It is. I mean, I've dated both people that are influencers and that aren't. I don't know. They're so different. I don't think I prefer one more than the other. I think that if, if they're not an influencer, then it's funny because of the questions that they ask and like learning about the world. And so it also depends on how far removed they are from it, right? Because there's like people that are in the in some kind of entertainment industry um, that kind of like know YouTubers and they know of YouTubers and they know how it works. And then there's people that are like, have literally never met an influencer, right? And those are so fun to date. <laughs> Just because I'm like, you know, I've lived in this world for however long. So learning about their world is so cool. Like, what the fuck? What do you mean? What, what is the drama in your industry? This is so weird, you know? And then they'll ask me questions and it's like, oh my God, I love that they're, that they're like, what? That happens? And I'm like, yeah, duh. You know, I don't know if that makes any sense, but yeah, like coming from different worlds and being able to like teach each other stuff about it is really fun. Yeah, I love learning about people's totally different perspectives on reality. Yeah, but then also if I'm dating an influencer, then it's like everything's understood and like, um, so it's just completely different. I don't prefer one more than the other, but like, yeah, they're different and it's really cool. Awesome. So what do you think then your like highest aspirations are for what you're creating and where you're going with what you're making? Oh God, I don't know. I just like want to help make the world a better place, honestly. And so I try to find out what my talents are and how to use those to make the world a better place. Um, right now, I want to work more with kids and like on a hands-on basis instead of just like on YouTube channel where I never see them, right? Um, so I just joined uh, the mentorship program at the LGBT Center in LA. And so I have like a mentoring a little teen and they're so cute. And that's been really great. Um, and I just started doing speaking events at colleges so I can like see them, which is really cool. Yeah. And maybe like volunteer. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out how else I can, how, how much energy and time I can spare to like volunteer and like do more work with like homeless youth, just because I remember being in foster care and being homeless, being a homeless kid and like being like, no one that fucking works here knows anything about what the fuck I'm going through. Sure, they have a PhD in it or whatever, but they don't have any personal experience. Or, um, yeah, I'm gay and homeless. So, like, you don't know what the fuck – you have no idea what I'm going through, right? So, Have other adult, adult successful humans that used to be homeless teens gotten in touch with you? Like, have you been organizing? Because that sounds so powerful to me, the whole group of you that now can give back. Yeah, I don't, I don't know any. I honestly don't know any others that are, I mean, like, I know that there's like some straight dudes have videos like living homeless in wherever, and then they'll like vlog about it sometimes. But yeah, that, I don't know. I'm not, that I have nothing in common with that guy. You know what I mean? So 
um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's just extremely rare or, or what, but I don't feel like it is. It can't, it can't be. How, how many homeless people are there in the country? So fucking. Yeah. And then like, and then like, if you're, if you're queer and homeless, like you're, you're 120% more likely to experience homeless as a youth if you're queer. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe it, maybe it's just not, maybe they're not influencers. Maybe they're not, you know, I don't, I don't know. I do think I want to make a video about like statistics and how, how like daunting they can be because all of the statistics that like I should have been pregnant by like age 18 and had, had like a baby out of wedlock. I should, there've been so many things that I, that it should have happened to me and they're daunting because they kind of haunt you. And then it's kind of becomes like this self-fulfilling prophecy. When you, why haunt you in what way? I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It's like, yeah, I need to like try to figure out how I, cause I want to make a video about it. So I need to figure out how I want to like articulate it, but it's more so like, these are all the things that should have happened to me because, you know, my dad killed himself because I grew up in poverty because I did this. These are all the things that should have happened. And yeah, I'm in that like 1% and then like doing the math of like, okay, I'm this percent of this, this percent of this one, this percent of this one. And then like all together, it makes it like, I don't know. Survivor's guilt. Oh, definitely. I have so much survivor's guilt. It's so funny because I have survivor's guilt and also imposter syndrome at the same time, which is a really wonderful mix. <laughs> I think you survived because you thrived. You know, you're really creative and you do great work. I mean, your videos are great. They're really entertaining and they're kind. They like have good intentions behind them. It's nice. You know, you do good work in the world. Thanks so much. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for all the stuff that you do. What are you excited about? What are some projects that are that you're excited about besides this video? What are some other things you're excited to start doing? I mean, I'm fucking excited to go on a goddamn vacation that I don't have any work planned for. And that's in like a week. I haven't done that in so long. Where are you going? Uh, England. I love England so much. Um, but let's see. What other projects am I excited about that I'm allowed to talk about? I don't know. I don't know. So what are some dream projects that you are one day like that you have on the maybe not immediate future but some things on the horizon definitely write a memoir like for sure so that's definitely a dream nice so, about um which part of your life or the whole thing yeah I think I think the whole thing I don't know I've never read, written a book before so I don't know what it would look like but I think it'd be interesting for sure yeah oh we shared an interesting, similar experience, although yours has been a lot different from mine. I made a funny mistake when I first started my project. I tried to advertise on Facebook. I had made a free guide for women who are coming out, and I started advertising, offering it. I bought an ad on Facebook. It was like two bucks or something like that to offer this free guide for coming out, but you're not allowed. I didn't realize you're not allowed to target lesbians as lesbians. And so they literally shut down my account. What? What do you mean you're not allowed to target lesbians? As lesbians, you're not allowed to call people out based on their affiliation. So it's not just lesbians, it's anything. So like you couldn't be like, to if there was someone who was clearly a part of some sort of Christian association, you couldn't be like, hey, meet other Christian women like you. Or you can't reach out to mothers of kids with autism and be like, hey, you know how for, for mothers of kids with autism, you know, things, yeah, I don't know if you can 
say things like that. So you have to be careful with affiliations. But that's not necessarily an anti-lesbian thing. But I then really felt a lot of sympathy when you were dealing with your own YouTube struggle, YouTube blocking you from advertising. Yeah. Are you still I blocked? I feel like that's a completely different thing, but... It is, um, but I felt the I felt the pain for you. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've, I've never heard that you can't. I mean, I, I guess it makes sense. They don't want people freaking out that they that you know, kind of thing. Totally, you don't want to feel like they're creepy and know everything about you. So yeah, it's a user experience issue, and I made a stupid mistake. It's totally different from what happened with you, but yes. I'm just saying that I I like it resonated with me because of my experience. Um, so yeah, tell about what happened. Yeah, it's just um, YouTube hates queer people, and they keep saying that they don't, and it's been two years, and they're in a class action lawsuit now. Hope hope that YouTube loses. But yeah, I, I mean, I don't fucking know. There's so much shit going on, too. Like, in, video games are, like, agreeing with countries that are homophobic and about, I don't even know. It's a whole thing. Advertisers run the fucking world, right? Capitalism is goddamn evil. And... So they get to say what they want to advertise on and what they don't. And so YouTube has to make a business decision that's like, okay, all of these advertisers don't want to advertise on queer content, so we're going to allow them to not advertise on queer content. And so the, and they do all that behind the scenes while doing like promoting pride fucking campaigns and shit. And it's fucked up, but I don't know. The algorithm basically like learned that queer content is like not suitable for advertisers and not kid friendly and whatever. And we discovered it, not we, but like, queer people on YouTube discovered that we were in something called restricted mode, which is for like libraries and schools and people under 18 or whatever, like no queer content was allowed. Like it could literally be a fucking makeup tutorial a trans woman is doing and then a makeup tutorial a straight cis woman is doing and the trans woman would be blocked and the straight one wouldn't. It's like, sorry, the cis one wouldn't. So it's like, what the fuck is even going on? So that was the first thing. And then everybody, YouTube started becoming more transparent about their monetization and stuff. Cause before you didn't know, you didn't know what was monetized and what wasn't, or what was like limited ads or whatever. But then we started like comparing with our straight friends and it was just like such a fucking shit show. So basically the algorithm demonetizes queer content. They don't just demonetize queer content. They demonetize political content. They demonetize, mental health stuff, disability stuff. It's so fucked up. Anything that's not considered like fucking Disney, basically. Anything with curse words, it's like a whole thing. So I'm fucked in for so many reasons. I'm fucked because I'm a lesbian and I talk about lesbian stuff. I'm fucked because I'm a sex educator. So I talk about sex, which they don't, they like, ugh, I don't even fucking know. So sex. And then also I curse because that's how I talk and that's how kids talk. And so I'm not going to speak to them in a fucking language and look down at them from my glasses like a sex ed professor. That's not what I do, right? Like, I'm a peer educator. I'm not talking down to you using fucking medical jargon. Gross. So, um, yeah, I'm like, I have like three strikes against me. So I'm just like getting demonetized more than, say, my lesbian friend who like talks about a dollar store haul or makeup or whatever, um, I just have more ways for them to demonetize me and more reasons for them to catch the video, basically for it to ping up in the algorithm. So, but then like I have straight sex educator friends that do the you know, same type of content. They just aren't using buzzwords like lesbian or, or whatever. And then they get demonetized less than me. So it's like, yeah, it's like all over the place. So, and you know, it's, and they should, all advertisers should want to advertise to queer people through queer channels because they'll do better. 
So it shouldn't be that you don't get monetized. It should be that companies want to reach all their queer audiences through those queer channels. So there should just be a cool distinction where you get to be rewarded for the niche that you are. Yeah, but it's not even about the money. Like, I've never made money on YouTube. Like, I've never made money on ads from YouTube. I have, but it's like very, very little, right? Like, I've never got more than a $500 check from YouTube. And that's with like millions of views, right? So um, I've always been like limited ads. I just didn't know because they weren't being transparent about it. I thought that everybody was making this amount or whatever the fuck, right? So, so yeah, it's not about that. It's about when your video is demonetized, when you search lesbian sex or, or Stevie Bobby, my videos don't show up in search. And then if they're age restricted, then people don't like people under 18 can't see them. And I make videos for 14 year olds. You know what I mean? So it like basically kills my channel from being able to reach an audience that I have built myself. And also I try to make my videos things that are Googleable for people that are seeking this information from someone that they trust and that they can relate to. Right. So it's for me, it's not about the ad revenue. It's that YouTube doesn't promote videos that don't have ads on them. So it doesn't show up in recommended. It doesn't show up in search. So it's just like the whole fucking reason I make videos is so people will see them. And then it's like the de- people like to concentrate on or think that it's like about the money. And it's really not. Also, I do think people deserve the money too, but it's, it's literally that it's like killing my channel. So, yeah. Yeah. It's really important for 14 year olds to be able to find the help that they need and get the answers that they need. And it's really important that you're doing it. And the women who, the girls, I guess, who, or humans, whatever the hell gender they may or may not be, deserve the ability to be able to type stuff in on YouTube and freaking find you. But then how do you make money? For us, with sponsors. So like I have ads that I can do on Instagram, like where I'm like, hey, try out this store or whatever. And when I talk about sex toy stores in my videos, you know, they pay me for that advertising. So I just like put sponsors in my videos. I don't really post videos without a sponsor in them because there's literally no other way I could afford my, to fucking pay my rent and shit. Right. So yeah. And I, and I've, I've always kind of been, um, someone that like puts products in their videos. So it never was like a, I need to grow my audience first. And then it's like weird that I started adding, putting ads in. And I think a lot of influencers are worried that it'll chase their fan fan base away for putting ads, but you just got to do it in a way that's like fun. Like, you know, uh, and offering a service that people actually like or would need. Like I, I have a, um, a sponsorship deal with better help, which is online therapy. And a lot of times kids in the fucking middle of nowhere and other countries where it's illegal to be gay, they can't have, they can't find access to therapists that are queer or care about queer issues or aren't going to say things that harm them. And so BetterHelp is fucking awesome. So I love, I love being able to like recommend certain products and it just makes sense for my content. But yeah, that's literally the only way I can get paid. No, that's great. All right, cool. So, um, yeah, I feel like I want to also just hear more about your experience with Ehlers-Danlos and POTS and your, the disability and how you discovered that you had it and what, what you've learned from that. Yeah. Um, so I was in and out of hospitals. I I always had symptoms even as a kid, but everyone just told me that like everyone felt that way. And so I was just like complaining. Um, and I believed them because they were adults. Yeah. I started having like heart stuff when I was 10 and everyone always told me it was just like anxiety and like nervousness or, or whatever. 
What'd you um, have? What was heart stuff? What did that mean? Like heart palpitations. Like it would be hard to breathe. Like I'd be like basically in tachycardia for no reason. And people would just say it was anxiety, which like for a lot of people it is, that's totally fine. Um, cause, but they were just like, Oh, a 10 year old doesn't have any health issues. <laughs> LOL. And then I got really, really sick when I was um, in my early twenties and then like really sick. So I was, I was like eating, I would be only be awake for like four hours a day, but I would just eat so much and I was still losing so much weight. And I just had so many growth, so many weird symptoms and none of it made any fucking sense to doctors. So they all thought that I was making it up because I'm a woman and I didn't have health insurance. I was basically fucking on and off homeless. You know, people would be like, Oh, she's drug seeking. She's, it's just depression, whatever. So they would just send me home with the fucking thousands of dollars in medical bills. Right. And then I just, I don't know. I would just like, when something serious would happen, I would just go to the emergency room and they would just like tell me that I was fine. They would like do fucking, um, EKGs on my heart and they'd be like, you're fine. Maybe, maybe you should stop drinking beer. I'm like, what the fuck? And then, yeah, I just like, I made a disabled friend and she was like, what the fuck? Your symptoms are so serious. And doctors are literally assholes. Like, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to like house the show house doesn't fucking exist. Diagnosticians aren't real and they are, they are, but like, it's not a thing. Like they literally don't give a shit. They're there to like treat a symptom, right? Especially the fucking healthcare, healthcare in this country is goddamn terrible. So I just like decided that I needed to figure out what was wrong on my own. And it took me a long ass time of trolling medical Twitter and and I had been Googling, I would go back and forth between like Googling symptoms for a week and then like, I'd be so exhausted from it. So then I would stop for a few months and then, you know, but yeah, I was like, fuck, I had so many things that I thought I had. There was like such a long list. And then I would, I would think that maybe that was it. And then it, I was like, no, that's not it over and over and over again. And then I finally, I made a bunch of friends with EDS and I think it's because they knew that I had EDS, but they didn't want to tell me because they didn't want to like diagnose me for me. Had they know what were the symptoms that made you think? Made them think that I you think had it. they just like, cause you know, you know, when you see another EDSer, right? Like you, you're like, Oh my God. Like we obvious, like I see, I see you doing fucking party tricks, bitch. Like I see you getting so exhausted after this thing or, you know what I mean? Like you can just like tell that it's someone else with a connective tissue disorder. So, um, I think that's what, that's kind of what they did. I think I, maybe I like made an Instagram post, like these are all my symptoms one time or something. You might be my only other friend with Ehlers-Danlos that I've ever made. <laughs> I don't know anyone else. I don't think I know anyone else who has it. Really? Oh, my God. I see celebrities, and I'm like, bitch, you're hypermobile. <laughs> yeah, so then so then I, um, with the advice of my, my EDS friend, uh, went demanded that I go to a rheumatologist because my primary doctor. But also, I'd never had health insurance my whole life. So, like, three years ago, I got health insurance for the first time. And so I made my doctor send me to a rheumatologist, you know, after she like sent me to psych first and like, what the fuck? Because again, she was like fucking implying that it was all in my head. Um, and so, yeah, I went to a rheumatologist. He was a fucking dickhead and he diagnosed me with fibromyalgia and double jointed, um, which isn't even a fucking medical term. <laughs> anyway, uh, everyone's always like, maybe you're just double jointed. <laughs> So like you can bend my foot in half. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's not oh. double jointed. It's not. No. So, um, but I knew I didn't have fibromyalgia because I thought I had it for a couple of years. And then I like joined these like fibromyalgia groups and I would read people's stories and what it felt like. And I was like, that's not me. Like 
my skin doesn't hurt. Like that's the only thing on my body that doesn't hurt, you know? So like, what the fuck? But can you pull it? Can you, can you stretch it a lot? No, I'm not. I'm like mildly, very mildly stretchy. I'm not stretchy really. And, but one side of my body is stretchier than the other. We don't know why. Fucking weird. Um, so yeah, I, I have very mildly stretchy skin. It's not, it's not super stretchy, but, um, but all my fucking joints are. Yeah. Oh yeah. You're not that much stretchier than me. <laughs> Cute. Um, yeah. So then I went back to my doctor and I was like, well, I, I texted my friend and I was like, got diagnosed with fibromyalgia and, and double jointed. And she was like, LOL. So you have EDS. And I was like, what does that mean? And she's like, every EDS gets diagnosed with that first. And I was like, really? And I was like, Oh shit, maybe I do have EDS. So then I told my doctor, I, I was like, I want to go to a geneticist. And she was like, um, why nothing that you've been diagnosed with is genetic. And I was like, if you're not a fucking geneticist, how do you know that? And so then I basically had to threaten her. I told her to, um, that I asked three times to go to a geneticist and she isn't referring me to them. So I want her to mark it in my chart that she's denied me three times. And then she just sent me the recommendation. She didn't even respond to the email. She just sent me the recommendation. I went to the fucking geneticist. He immediately diagnosed me with EDS and POTS and was like so furious. Like he was looking over my file cause I'd been with them for like a year and a half that that insurance company. And he was fucking pissed. He was like, double jointed isn't even a fucking medical term. I'm calling every single one of your doctors. This is just like unacceptable. Like I was like, fuck yeah. So he was such a cool doctor and he really like, you know, made me feel so much better. And then I finally got a diagnosis. So I finally had a reason, right? So I think a lot of people are scared of getting diagnosed, but I'm like, fuck, I now have so many tools and ways to communicate what's going on. And I know that it's not going to be forever when I like right now I was in a really bad flare up when we first started talking. Right. And so now it's like slowly going away. So I know that it's going to slowly go away. Right. Instead of sitting there and like full on having fucking panic attacks, laying in bed, not wanting to move, you know? So yeah. Knowing what it is, you can deal with it. What did you learn about navigating the health system that, that you think other people should know? Oh God, I did start a viral hashtag <laughs> and it's hashtag doctors are dickheads. Oh, not all are though. I have to put in a defense here. My brother is like the sweetest, most caring doctor in the whole world. And I know that a lot of his friends really care and they're in a met doctors are in a, such a bad situation right now. The, the, the insurance companies are squeezing them, making their lives so hard and they don't have the time or the resources to give the care and love. Like the ones who really want to give care and love to patients don't have the time or the resources and their training is just brutal and their pay is getting squeezed more and more and the amount of time they have to put in and the burden on their shoulder. Doctors are good people. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying that they aren't. I'm just saying that the industry itself, like how it's set up, it is ableist. It is fucking classist. It is, there's so many things that, that exist in the American healthcare system. Yeah. It's so fucked up. The healthcare system is absolute just a disgrace. It's absolutely true. All of those things are definitely true. Doctors themselves are not to blame, but they are, doctors are treated like they are the know all be all end all of everything. And it's, it's harming people because so many studies have come out saying that they, they are racist. They are sexist. They are judgmental. And they, they, they take those personal biases just like anyone in, in our culture has. Right. And endanger people's lives with it. And so basically me saying doctors are dickheads in my video and then it became a viral hashtag is because people 
get upset when you say that because they're like, but I, I don't think that it's like, it's like not all men, right? Like it's being like ha having the hashtag me too, where women share about being sexually assaulted and people are like, well, not all men. And it's like, we're not talking. Yeah. Not all doctors. Totally. I understand. It's just that some are, and you need to not take what, if you take what they say as the final answer, you could end up dead and paralyzed because you didn't get the care that you need. Yeah. But people are scared of, doc you know, people are scared to, to say that, you know? So I think that's the biggest takeaway that I have is that friends of mine, specifically women of color, told me like, you have to demand to be treated. You have to tell them that, re remember that they work for you and you don't, you're, you're not like privileged to have their, their attention and their and medical care from them. That's literally their job and you're paying them to do it. And you have to remind them of that. That's basically the best advice. The first best advice I ever got about navigating the medical industry is just to fucking demand that you be treated. Yeah. Be your own advocate. You shouldn't have to. It's so yeah. fucked. Yeah, the insurance companies really make it so hard because they don't pay for stuff. They push back so hard. It's it's so bad. Um, yeah. Well, I'm really happy that you had these friends that helped you figure out what was wrong and that now you're on your way to getting the care that you need. That's awesome. Um, so what can, if people want to work with you or bring you opportunities, what kind of opportunities would you be psyched about? And then also um, how can people find you? And, you know, how can people come back and contribute to you and get involved with what you're doing. Yeah. Um, well, I also have Patreon, which is fucking awesome. So people can like donate per video on my Patreon and like get some cool perks or whatever. But yeah, I'm open to any and all offers for public speaking events, college talks, uh, sponsorships and videos around social media. Um, and then like on all of my social media, you can find the email to contact for business inquiries, but I'm, youtube.com slash stevie on youtube and then stevie bobby on everything else awesome this was such a great interview oh thank you so much that's so nice of you to say it means a lot you really killed it i'm really grateful to have had you here thank you so much thanks for being here thanks it was so great meeting you thanks so much for listening if you like this episode, please subscribe, share it with a friend, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you want lesbian dating advice from me more often, follow me on Instagram at jordana.michelle. Also, don't forget that womenwantingwomen.com is packed with free resources that can help you build your confidence and have more success with dating. While you're there, you can book a one-on-one -on -one coaching session with me to get my personal support in finding the love you long for. Until next time, keep remembering that hot lesbians are everywhere, that love is real, and that the woman of your dreams is on her way into your life in perfect timing. And I'll catch you next time on Women Wanting Women. <laughs>